Welcome to Dream Big with Big Dreamers, conversations for career growth, inspiration, and insight, hosted by Donna Sardula and yours truly, Scott Jones. Here are the inspiring stories that shape the careers of top executives, entrepreneurs, and professionals. These empowering discussions offer guidance and advice as you advance in your career. It's time to dream big. Hey there, Scott. Donna, how are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing great. I'm doing really, really well. I'm looking forward to our guest today. I am as well. I'll tell you, I'm so in the mood to do this conversation because I have been, I just came out of Clubhouse. And <laughs> as you know, I am spending way too much time, an inordinate amount of time. In and Clubhouse. I know this because I, because you invited me and now I get notifications at all hours that Scott is in Clubhouse. Oh, oh gosh. I'm not sleeping some nights because I'm, because I have a lot of friends that are in different time zones, either at West Coast or in the UK or something. And they're in these late night rooms. And I was in a room today, which is, is it's its 51st day in existence. It's called Dishwasher Diaries. And the guy that runs it, Steve Crone, is a, he's a lawyer and film producer and has been a Supreme Court clerk. And every day, if you're a new, if you're a new we talk about all sorts of things, but if you're a new member, if you're, you get interviewed about your dishwasher habits and how you load the dishwasher um, oh. what, and it, oftentimes it gets into people's marriages. I mean, there was a rabbi on there and we were actually do, basically doing marriage counseling. I mean, because his wife just piles the dishes, piles and piles them in and then uses the dishwasher as a cupboard. So basically the dishes never get put in. The rabbi was like, well, it's okay with the plates, but then when you get to the flatware, it's like pickup sticks. And <laughs> it's, it's, uh, so, so dishwasher dies. And then I go into, um, Later after this, I'll go into the afternoon tea room that my friend Roy Fields runs. Where now, do um, you need to have a cup of tea when you enter the tea room? You should, you should, you should, um, you should. And and to get inducted, you have to be asked. You're asked, how do you take your tea? And then there are two rules, and somebody has to read the rules. The one rule is you do not say the word coffee. And the second rule is you can't say the team, the team Chelsea, the football club. So Which would if be you, easy for most Americans, because I don't. Yeah, think for most Americans, it's not a problem, right? For, for Brits, but <laughs> but if you if you do one of these things, you will be removed from the stage. Um, so it's a very this this is what my life has become. I'm in the Big Apple right now, and I'm spending my days on Clubhouse. So this is the this is the thing that. Um, so interventions are welcome. Uh, if you know a good therapist, we uh, may have to do an extraction. We'll see. We shall see. But you know what. If if maybe we really need a mediator <laughs> to come in. Super segue. I was going to say I, I'm pretty impressed with <laughs> that segue. We have a, a fabulous guest today, a podcaster in her own right. Um, name is Susan Guthrie. I'm going. Shall I read her bio? Well, you could. Susan's like, you, no, I want to jump right in. Here. Do you want some highlights? <laughs> You know what, S S Susan is a, one of the leading family law attorneys and mediators in the country. She's a creator and award-winning host of Divorce and Beyond Podcast and Learn to Mediate Online Podcast. Uh, Susan, thank you so much for coming. Oh, I'm, I'm so happy to be here, and I hate hearing my bio, so thank you for sort of jumping <laughs> over that. <laughs> well, well, all right, really quick question. Are you on Clubhouse? 
I am. I hate to say this, Scott, but I hate Clubhouse. I'm sorry. Uh, Susan, it- this is this is look. This is I. Ha- I was having. I, 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 you know, like a long distance love affair in my head because of your love for microphones and and all things podcasting and so this I had this fantasy image of you built up and you just crushed it by telling <laughs> me you don't love club I mean this is what what don't you like about it you know I think part of my problem is every time I, I go on it's because I've been invited to a room to talk about divorce and I talk about divorce all day, every day, and have done that for 30 plus years. So maybe if I hopped into rooms that were talking about tea or dishwasher, loading dishwashers, although as a divorce attorney, I've heard more stories about loading of dishwashers, as you reference, than I care to think about. So that might not be the right room for me. Um, it'll bring back past traumas of, of grounds for divorce because she, you know, never puts uh, never puts the glasses in properly or something like that. Have you, have you, what, what was the worst thing that you heard that, you know, contributed to a divorce? You know, dishwasher related. Dishwasher related. Dishwasher related (laughs) is usually the not uh, putting stuff in the sink rather than putting it in the dishwasher. I've heard that complaint over and over again. But the biggest fight isn't so much about loading the dishwasher. It's what you just said is the never unloading the dishwasher. This is not as is not a cupboard. It is not. It, It is not a cupboard. And this is these kinds of things are barbaric. I mean, I, I find <laughs> this is what separates us from the barbarian hordes at the gates. I mean, th- this is so. I mean, that would be to me. I'm no expert in the field of divorce, but that to me sounds like acceptable grounds. If I were a judge, and somebody said that my spouse, male or female, it's not sexist, but my the spouse who who is responsible for you know manning the dishwasher is using it as storage. I, I, th- that would be grounds well, for divorce. A, the, the sure. is, there's, there's a functional use for a dishwasher. It's not storage. It, it performs a very important duty. But I will say this. I had my, my stepdaughters over the other day, and they were, they were helping me load the dishwasher. Amazing, amazing. Like, thank you. They put a wine glass in the bottom next to a saucepan. And I was like, get out of my kitchen right now. <laughs> the stem, that's you're asking for the stem to be broken. I mean, you're asking for things to be broken. I mean, you're, this is insane. <sighs> there are rules about dishwasher etiquette. And if we don't raise our children correctly, they will turn into those barbarians. So I agree. Heathens. 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 Susan, can I ask you this? Can I just, I just, usually Donna starts off, but I'm feeling so inspired right now. I'm from Clubhouse. I'm, and from your, Again, you're, 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 the fact that you're a microfile like myself, um, which I think that's a word which was just invented. Put it down. Five minutes ago. Merriam-Webster, yeah. call me. I'll give you the definitions. <laughs> it, you know, like I, my grandfather, on my paternal grandfather, was a funeral director. And it, it seemed like a kind of a dark thing to do. You know, you're around death all the time. You're around... Um, yeah, it, it's just, it, it's, 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 it's quite literally kind of morbid. Um, is, is, is there a similar thing being in divorce law? I mean, because you, your life, your living is off failed love, right? And is there, does that make you jaded about love in your own life? I mean, what's, what have you, like, is that, do you feel like the sort of person that people really don't want to see? Like, like ultimately, it, you, you don't want to see uh, the divorce lawyer just like you don't want to see an oncologist, right? I mean, 
yeah. So, I mean, how does that just like the the way? Because you seem like I don't know you very well, but you seem like a very cheery person. And so I'm wondering, like, how does that what you do like affect your own personal affect? Well, it's funny. I, I love that you say that. I've been at cocktail parties and, you know, it is part of the chit chat. Someone will say, oh, what do you do for a living? And back when I was actively practicing, I'd be, oh, I'm a divorce attorney. And literally like sign of the cross and backing away, you know, people would, um, unless, of course, they asked for your card. It was one or the other, right? You know, you always got one response or the other. Um, and I'm I assuming they don't ask for the card in front of their no, boss. no. Some of them will say, you know, can I just put your your phone number in my phone because I don't want your card. I don't want it laying around the house. Um, but you would get one or the other. You would get the person who's like, oh, well, thanks so much. Don't ever want to speak to you. Or the person who's like, you know, I really would like to talk to you when you have a moment. Um, but yeah, no, it's a dark, it is a dark place. When I was actively litigating divorces for the first 20 years of my career, um, that is a very difficult job to leave in the office. Um, that's that's dealing with really unhappy people going through really difficult times, doing really crazy stuff um, every day, all day. So very hard to leave that behind. And a lot of your clients won't let you. You know, back when I was not smart enough to have an unlisted telephone number, I would get, you know, the 2 a.m. phone calls. Or I actually had one client show up at my house um, it's during Sunday dinner, because, you know, do you know what he just did? I had to tell you. So you never, so you, you never know. So, so you become like a confidant. I mean, you're more, you, you're, you're their, quite literally their advocate. And so I guess sometimes there's um, boundary issues because you're their person in, the, in this traumatic time of their life that, that they trust. Yeah, they're basically, you know, with a litigator, they're basically taking their life and putting it in your hands um, because divorce law, negotiating a settlement, this affects your money. It affects your children. It's These are some of the major decisions affecting your life going forward. And that litigation system is really built upon the attorney handling all of that for the person rather than empowering them for the most part to handle it for themselves. So yeah, you really set up a dependency type of relationship. But but you pivoted. I mean, you were a family law litigator and then you pivoted to, I'm, I'm assuming to get away from some of that ugliness and some of that, you know, you know, deep, <laughs> dark aspects. I, 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 rather than ask you about the pivot, I, I do want to know more about the pivot, but what made you get into this? Like, <laughs> like what, what, what made you say, I want to be, like, I want to get into this. <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't ever that. I never said that. It was interesting. I went to law school and came out of law school and worked on Wall Street um, because I had gone through, I was in business school in undergrad. Then I went to law school. I was going to be, you know, working on Wall Street. That was the dream. Moved to Manhattan when I first graduated. And nine months into that, realized I absolutely hate this job. I hate this. It's not at all. All I ever did was sit in a cubicle with, you know, contracts that were two feet tall and worked 20 hours out of a 24-hour day. I did not enjoy that at all. Um <sighs> So it was, it was truly a case. I did what every adult child does when their job doesn't work out. I moved back in with my parents and they're like, well, you're not just going to sit around here all day, go get a job. So I just joined a local law firm in Connecticut 
and stayed there for 20 years. Um, be, and they, the two senior partners for that firm, were like, hey, let the new kid do the divorce work no one wants to do. And I was good at it. I was really good at it. Why? Um, Why were you good at it? You know, because I think that, you know, to be a good divorce litigator, one, you have to be a good litigator. You have to, there has to be an element of your personality that is competitive because it is a competitive, this is an adversarial style of process, right? You're going in there to win. You're going in there to take the facts and apply the law to your facts to advocate for what your client wants and if you get more of that than the other side does you won Um, and in the beginning that will feel like you know a positive process it's not until you turn around and look at what that adversarial system does for the families when there's a winner and a loser and you're taking all of their you know the facts about their worst behaviors and using those as elements of the case that you're trying to prove Um, And you realize all you've really done is destroy that family even more, drive it further apart. So it quickly dawned on me that wasn't really a great, uh, a great path for my, myself as a human being. But as I said, I was good at it. Um, And so that success train sort of catches you up um, and, you know, you, you get caught in that loop and it took me a long time to be able to break out of it. I can imagine when did you start to like, when did you start to dream bigger and start to say, okay, I want to move forward. I want to do something different. I mean, what, what was that catalyst that got you, you know, feeling that the courage to move, because especially if you're getting paid a lot of money, prestige. people are like, oh, look at her. She's, she's really killing it. Yeah, it was, you know, it was, it went on for a while. And I was honestly, by that time, I had been a divorce attorney for 15 or so years and hadn't done anything else really, um, except those nine months on Wall Street that I also hated. So I really didn't know what I was going to be able to do. And the, I mean, I, I still so distinctly remember the day that the light went, light bulb went on. I was sitting in a courtroom again, like I always did, waiting for my turn to get up there and argue it out. And there was a particularly nasty case going on. And one of my colleagues leaned over and I must have had that look on my face. And she just said, it doesn't have to be like this. You know, it it doesn't have to be this way. I must, maybe I had said something and she was answering me, but what I remember is her saying that. So I chased her down out in the hallway afterwards and she was a mediator. She did divorce mediation and she told me about it and really started my journey uh, to, a, as I call it, a divorce in a better way. It's interesting. There's a, a counselor by the name of Paul Tripp who wrote a book I, 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 I like a lot. And the, the, the line that stands out for me in it was he says in people and most people in crisis don't need information. They need imagination. And so it sounds like just just. A, a simple comment that someone gave made you reimagine your world. And, and that's what I think is the hardest thing, right? It's not, um, it's not, it's not seeing something no one's seen, right? Discovery. It's seeing something that everyone is seeing differently. Uh, it sounds like you got a real gift. I mean, do you still, are, do you, are you still in touch with that person? 
I am. I am. And I actually was at an event that she came to. I was speaking at an event and she came up and I'm like, Deb, it's so wonderful to see you. I said, I'm actually talking about that story in this presentation I'm doing. I'm so glad you're here to hear it. She didn't remember it at all. Wow. She didn't remember. I mean, she changed my life, my career and everything. And she was thrilled to hear it. But she didn't remember that happening at all. And uh, I still, you know, I, I thank her. Thank you, Deb. Um, she she really changed things for me. Um, and that was really the beginning of, you know, making that one change then led to all the, once you can make that one change, even if it's a small one, that was big for me, but even if it were a small one, I think that's when you start to realize you can dream big. You can, you can open your mind to new possibilities. What was it like? Did you go back to the law firm and you were like, I want to mediate. Were they like, pack your bags? And they went, what's that? Yeah. (laughs) Um, it wasn't pack your bags. I had two, you might, my, those senior partners that I had started with, um, by now were hitting their seventies. One was approaching 80 and they actually wanted to semi-retire and they wanted to move our entire firm to another location that was further away from where I lived and everything. So it was, you know, I always say the universe provides, I had this epiphany in practice at a time when there was a natural break for me to leave the firm. So I, uh, we, on very amicable and positive terms, broke up the firm. By that time, I was a name partner. And I took my little matrimonial division and moved to an office that was literally walking distance from my home, no more commuting, no more traffic, set up my own little dream practice and it was all what we call in the in the industry non-adversarial based approaches to divorce. So you basically um, had a mediation with your partners. You, you didn't you didn't even have a divorce. You had a mediation. It, we we basically had an amicable breakup. It's uh, I, there's still two of my favorite people in the world and uh, two like two um, two uh, dads to me in in many ways. I learned how to be a lawyer from them. But they were, you know, much older and and very traditional. And so what I learned from them was that litigation, traditional litigation route. What I learned for myself is, and what I think is for for families, is there are better ways to go through at least the divorce process. Did you, so at what point did you say, you know, I have this practice now, this new one. It's non-confrontational. It's friendly. It's kind. At what point did you say... I want to go out there and tell the world and help other people recognize yeah. this. That really, that didn't happen right away. That was more, again, uh, the universe provides. I've been a very lucky person in circumstances that have come along in my life and um, opportunities that have come. And what happened is by that time, I had been in Connecticut for 26 years. And then suddenly we moved clear across the country to California. And... As so, a result, so, so we, we, this is your family. Yes, my husband um, at the time, his, our, uh, my husband has triplets. They had just graduated from high school, and we had an opportunity to move to a place. I had grown up in California. I love California. It's my happy place. And um, so we had an opportunity for his job to go there. And I was like, ah, 
I've already got a practice. I'll just pick it up and move it over to California. And I don't know if anyone out there has ever tried to move a practice cross country when you're not even licensed to practice in the new state. Um, California makes every new attorney, new attorney in the state take the bar exam. So oh my suddenly gosh. I was, yeah. That's a like 50 hell. Some odd year. It was beyond hell. Let me tell that, you. This is the thing. Like that's like having to take the SATs again or something. Like you're just. Yeah, it's this worse. Is, it's that, that is horrendous. That is horrendous. It was very mean of California. I will tell you, <laughs> I resented wow. it greatly. Um, thankfully, I passed. Only twenty-seven percent of attorneys who take the bar exam in California pass the first time. And I'll tell you, if I had not, I would not have taken it again. It was a horrific experience. But wow. what I learned there, uh, to what Donna asked, is that I was still working with people in Connecticut because while I was transitioning, I still was licensed there. And I started doing this whole online thing. So weird and different six, seven years ago, right? Nobody understood. They're like, oh, that's quirky. <laughs> working through via, you know, video conferencing. Um, but there were colleagues out there who wanted to learn about it. They're like, that's kind of cool. You know, we live in Florida during half the year or whatever. Can you teach me how to do it? And that's when I started to dream about like creating a network of online mediators and then COVID. So, right. Have you learned anything through this, like through COVID? I mean, has there been a disruption that you're like, man, we should have adopted this before, uh, before a pandemic hit? Oh, I mean, absolutely. COVID, honestly, for mediation and mediators has been probably one of the best things that has happened to the profession. It has moved forward. Sort of the standard comment in the industry is we've moved forward 10 years in one um, because it's expanded the reach. I mean, frankly, people who were did not have access to dispute resolution because they lived too far away or didn't want to sit in traffic or couldn't find a mediator who was skilled in their particular in, you know topic um, now have access to a worldwide network of online mediators and uh, you know court systems have gone fully online because they couldn't have court in person uh, you know, it's really been one of the more positive changes, I think, and more people because the courts were closed during COVID. So if you had a couple who wanted to get divorced, they had no access to moving that forward. So they turned to mediation. Yeah. And so people who would not have tried it have and have found the benefits of the process. Well, I was just curious, but you said my husband at the time. So have you've been divorced yourself? I was. Um, I was divorced about, gosh, my first, my, well, my first and only divorce was about 20 years ago. Um, wow. So I uh, got divorced from my first husband, didn't have children, but I will say being a divorce attorney, going through a divorce will change your viewpoint a bit. And then I met my current husband, who we've now been together for 20 years. Um, so my other divorce must have been about 23 years ago because I met him three years after we got to, uh, I got divorced. But um, he was had just finished a rather high conflict divorce and had young children. I mentioned he had five year old triplets and probably one of the biggest changes in my life and one of the big catalysts for me making a change um, to try and find a better way for families to move through this process was seeing their faces in my home when they could hear their parents arguing on the phone or their mom dropped them off 
and it wasn't a smooth drop. You know, just these little things. And I'm not throwing, I don't want to cast any aspersions anyway. It's just, you know, things happen when there's not a, a positive process. And when you see it on those little faces, it will change you. Yeah, it's interesting because this podcast is called Dreaming Big. And I, I wonder, is is your background as a divorce attorney and then a mediator, do people turn, like, do you have ways to dream big on the front end of a relationship so that people never have to get into mediation? I mean, do you think about, like, hey, I, I, I've observed a lot of relationships break down. And do you, want, do you find yourself offering people insights about how not to get into the situation? All the time. It's interesting. People are always like, where's the best place to get marriage advice from a divorce attorney, right? Don't do what my clients did. And so I do get asked the question quite often. And, and you know, when I look back on the, the top reasons why I have seen clients or at least heard them report that they are getting divorced, the most common thing is complete and utter apathy has entered the relationship. And that's not usually just for a matter of months. I hear from couples all the time that they've been living like roommates and that that can be in a sexual nature, but also just like two people who share a house and are raising children together and talk about their kids, but have no real connection or interest together anymore. And that has gone on for years. And, you know, I hear that I have heard that seven years six years, 10 years, I've heard it over and over again. We haven't really had a conversation. We haven't really um, done something together, just the two of us. And uh, that apathy eventually, and I hate to say it, but usually leads to somebody straying. And that's the catalyst that will start the divorce. Worst possible way, by the way, to, to get your divorce to start, you know, cheat on your spouse. Yeah, well, so. I heard I heard the catalyst is either cheating or just not loading the dishwasher correctly. Yes, correct. there we go. That, this is this is <laughs> or not empty. <laughs> but it's interesting because this 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 your insights there bring up this age old adage, right? The opposite of love isn't hate; it's indifference. Mm-hmm. Like if you're still fighting, you probably still have some passion, right? It's when you stop fighting that things are probably, I guess, going down the drain. Yeah. And, and instead of just letting that continue, see it as the warning sign that it is um, and either care enough to do something about it or care enough to end it respectfully before somebody, because human nature is we want connection. We want to be with someone. And I'm not in any way excusing um, adultery or straying outside of the marriage in any way I'm not doing that but I am saying that it is human nature that that's going to happen sooner or later and in, and in fact take it from a divorce attorney it does happen sooner or later somebody finds connection outside the relationship and that's devastating because it, it then you now have betrayal and you have a destruction and um, you know breach of trust and then you have to sit down and talk about how you're going to co-parent your children and split up your stuff and be respectful to each other. It's almost impossible. Um, so, you know, that indifference I, I, that you say that, Scott, I think is really um, poignant. If, there, if that's how you're feeling, indifferent, then there are some, probably some decisions that need to be made or some actions that need to be taken. And I'm not saying what they are. I'm just saying it's maybe a wake-up call. 
you know, you've said passion and, and actions, and something you've said a few times, I, I wonder, do you feel that you've been lucky through your life, or do you feel that you've manifested these changes? Because I just keep hearing this, like, visualization and manifestation, and I'm just wondering how you perceive it yourself. Yeah, for me, you know, I, I do believe very much in that phrase, um, the universe provides. And the reason I believe in it so strongly is because manifesting has so often, you know, what I think has happened in my life. Um, and I'm not sure which comes first. Sometimes it's the thought or the opportunity, but I do believe in seeing opportunity is also a way of manifesting. But yes, I believe that we have that ability to think it and have it become true. Um, if you don't dream it, I love the name of your podcast, because if you don't dream it, big, little, small, huge, whatever, then how does it happen? Yeah. It, it's Things don't like happen it's, in a void. Right. I yeah. mean, how can, how can you get anywhere if you don't know where you're going? <laughs> if you can't yeah. see it, you're just basically on a treadmill. What, what are you dreaming about big these days? Like what dreams do you have right now that are on your whiteboard or in your, the, on the horizons of your imagination right now? Like what are you dreaming about personally? Yeah, for me right now, it, it has a lot to do with the, the shift I've also made career-wise during COVID to I'm no longer actively mediating or representing people in divorce. I'm working to train professionals to be mediators, to be collaborative professionals, to be the change that we need in that divorce industry. And uh, my dreams are really centered around because of the availability of online, turning that into a worldwide resource to create professionals around the world, to provide training to people around the world so that, you know, it all comes down to changing the divorce process for the families that are going through it. But I feel that I affect more change by changing the professionals than by trying to educate people that there's a different way to do it. We need professionals out there who know how to help people through it in a different way, in a better way. If, if a person wanted to work with you, how, how would they reach out to you? What's your contact information? Where should we... Where should we send our audience to learn more? Yeah. Well, for training, I do all of my training now through uh, the Mostyn Guthrie Academy, which is mostynguthrie.com. Um, and then most people find me. I do do some coaching um, for people who are going through divorce to help them find the right path. Um, so mostly working with people at the very early stages as they're looking for the right professionals uh, to help them. Um, and that's through divorceinabetterway.com. Fabulous. Susan, thank you so much. Susan, this was utterly delightful. Oh, thank you. I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you both for having me. Thanks for listening to Dream Big with Big Dreamers. If you like the show, please do us a favor. Go into iTunes and write a review and give us a rating or share it with a friend via social media or email if you think they'd benefit from these conversations. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next time. Until then, keep dreaming big.